0: podcast about finding self, place and purpose in midlife and beyond. And some of you might be wondering, why have you called it If and Can? And it stems from when I was learning how to podcast and I was with a very young team and it was a standing joke amongst us that oh my goodness, if and can, because they thought it was incredibly brave of a woman in her 50s learning how to podcast with very little technical know-how and starting from the very beginning. And actually, I didn't think it was that brave at all because I was alongside them. I love that, oh, well, if Anne can, then really anybody can. And that's the spirit of this series. And now we're 15 episodes in, I'm going to reflect on bravery and what that means. And I am not a brave person. Whatever that young team thought, I am not a brave person. I long to be brave. I want to be that, the one that, you know, people could rely on in a crisis that knows what to do, that stands up to bullies, that's physically tough. And I'm none of those things. And that's a great sadness to me. But I've also learned that bravery does take many different guises. It's not obvious sometimes. What bravery actually is. And to help with this reflection, I've selected passages from two previous episodes featuring incredibly brave women. The first is Angela Bentley, who is a certified Wim Hof instructor who channels her passion for the cold to support people with their physical, mental, and emotional health. I met Angela on a freezing cold day in December and she led me into the Pickmere Lake, an experience that has changed my life. I'm now part of Angela's wonderful ice warrior community and have swam in a lake every week this year. Angela works tirelessly to overcome her own anxiety to become a beacon and guide to those who want to be brave but need a helping hand. Here's what our beloved ice warrior had to say. I've named myself the
1: ice warrior because I absolutely this method has made me feel like a warrior. It feels quite quite a big character to call myself, but it is just because I feel like a warrior. From being an emotional, anxious little soul that wasn't sure about life, I've come into my own and I've built this warrior, but anybody can do it. Every person that turns up is absolutely petrified of what the hell am I doing getting into this water? I know that I want to do it. Social media is rife with it. If you've not seen it on social media, then I don't know what, it's It's literally all over the place. So it's kind of, yeah, lots of people are doing it. Lots of people are cheering about it. It frightens me to death, but I'm going to go and do it. And to come to me and let me help you to do that, I'm going to make sure that you're safe, make sure you have the knowledge to do that, to take you into the water. But each time you do it, I still drive to a lake or a waterfall going, not really sure whether I'm going to get in. Not really feeling it. I'm talking myself in and out of it. The chatter's going on in my head and I'm literally... Mm, I'm just going to sit and look at that waterfall today. I'm not going to get in. I All of the, all the time, I always get in and I just say, just go in for 30 seconds. And if you do 30 seconds, you've done a job. I always stay in for longer. So if if that feeling wasn't there, it wouldn't be it wouldn't be as powerful. So what you're doing when you're going into that water and you're going into you're facing your fears, facing your fears head on, or you're building courage, whichever way around that you want to look at it, and then you go and see what's on the other side of that fear and build that courage. And then you come out a different person. And every time you come out, you slightly build on that courage building, that courage building, you're building a mental nerve in your brain to realise that you are capable of difficult things. So your brain will start to be programmed going, actually, I am capable of difficult things. And this is now taking me into the next level. So it's it's a two prong approach. Yes, I am building a business doing this practice, but this practice is helping me to build that business, whichever business I was building, or whichever position I was in a, in a corporate world, you know, CEO or whatever, that would help me to then really take myself to the next level and see what I was capable of. That my job is to give you the information and the skills to do the job. I am not there to to support. Well, I am there to support, but I'm not there to say that that you can't do then that without me because you need me. That is absolutely not what, what what I want to do. I want to empower you to do this yourself. Not just step into the cold water yourself, but to do what you want to do in life yourself. You'd need to empower yourself. So, yeah, it's lovely to take somebody into the water and hold their hands and take them in. But if I'm not holding their hands, then they're doing it themselves, and that is more important than me helping them. Yeah, it's it's a lovely ego thing. Oh, Angela, I couldn't have done it without you. You know, but you know, the the beautiful thing about this method and what Wim Hof is teaching is to take the ego out of it ditch the ego it's not about the ego it's about your journey and me giving you the information of what actually is happening to your body when you're doing the breath work and the cold water exposure and also being there as a resource so afterwards it's like Angela this happened to me in the cold today what does that mean or I want to take my practice to the next level how can I do that so I'm I'm a guide rather than a support if that makes sense and that's really important to me I went up to some waterfalls a couple of weeks ago and we were getting closer to the waterfalls and one lady went, oh, um, I'm not sure uh, really whether to uh, take my coat off or to put another coat on or um, should I be getting my body a bit cooler to get in the waterfalls or should I be wrapping up to conserve my heat? And I just went, don't overthink it honey (laughs) and she just went oh I need you every day and I was like don't overthink stuff We, we constantly this is but this is what our chatter is doing in our brains all the time it's like stop that chatter and let your body tell you if you need a coat or you don't need a coat it's just calm down and don't overthink stuff that's when we start getting ourselves into a
0: mess Bravery, of course, can manifest itself in many ways, and one of my bravest guests was the artist Kate Hughes, who talked fearlessly of her very personal battle with the depression she suffered after she was prescribed the mini-pill after the birth of her second child. Here are her reflections, both on her debilitating depression and on her astonishing creative drive. Kate is a true warrior.
2: Yeah, I remember being in, well, in style, yeah, style Mill with my mum and the dog and the boys and they were running through a field of buttercups. It was beautiful. It was beautiful, beautiful day, a bit like today, total blue sky. And I could see it was stunning. I could see that it was, it was a gorgeous, gorgeous day and everyone was having fun, but I just didn't feel it. And it was I just that that realization of why why am I not happy I didn't I didn't I couldn't didn't get it I didn't I just thought this is I felt numb I felt totally numb so but I ended up going to to the doctor and asking for help and I felt like such a I was so disappointed in myself I didn't want anyone knowing I felt like I failed I felt like I don't know but anyway I asked I asked for help and they gave me vitamin b12 injections i had cbd training but they also gave me antidepressants which which i took i resisted them but i did take them and that that lifted the depression but allowed me to start thinking and overthinking and anxiety kicked in as a, a bit of a crazy roller coaster really and not not the not the nicest not the nicest of the times yeah, well, I, I I was on those for years. I'd I'd, I'd lose track of time really here, but I'd, uh, quite a few, quite a few years then on on those, and then learning to deal with the anxiety and learning to to manage that and having the things in place to keep that keep that in uh, in touch really. But that gave me really the push to. I, I couldn't keep teaching I couldn't keep teaching at the level I wanted to keep teaching to be perfect because I, I couldn't have the time or the mental capacity to be able to do that so I I actually left teaching and I'd started bought into a franchise making keepsakes so at least I was still making and doing the, the artwork in that way and I did that for a few years and that, that allowed me to get out of teaching but I was able to yeah, I kept kept my hand in and did supply work with the school I was at, and was able to keep teaching again, again through that sort of to keep while I was building the business. Then I, it was a Facebook post, I read a Facebook post about about the mini pill. I mentioned that at the, at the beginning here that they put me on the mini pill so I could breastfeed Ben, and the side effects of the mini pill that they, that it was a whole massive list of fatigue and depression and brain fog and uh, the list list of all these things and it described me, described how I felt and I I was really angry actually. I just thought that that's, you know, why didn't the doctor tell me this? That some daft Facebook post (laughs) that I'd scroll, happened to scroll across, you know, uh, that alerted me to this. So I immediately came off the mini pill and then Literally, literally days later, it, it was it was immediate. I was I you know I could I was I was there again. I was me again. I had life in me again. I wasn't this numbed being. <laughs> so 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 sad. Initially, I was actually really 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 angry, and I found that hard to let go of. Just I felt felt let down by. Medical, well, the medical profession really, and not particularly the GP, because she did what she could in her five-minute little slot. But I just, just very angry. It then, it then took me a few things. First one I'll just slip in there: silver lining you mentioned before is that that I then got pregnant with Adam. <laughs> so <laughs> being on the pill for all that all those years to not get pregnant, causing those problems, and then yes, <laughs> I got pregnant. So I know I have three little three boys, but it was, I think I think it's the I, I think from that point, I've been on a journey really of self discovery. You know, I I gave myself to education, I gave myself to teaching, and all, all you know teaching children. I've I've worked and worked and worked and worked and not stopped. And there I I think that's that's part of me, and I still do it really. But I have also I've started to. Try and find you know. I became a mum, and and that was my title. I was a teacher, and that was my title. And, and really, I've been trying to find me and what gives me pleasure, and gives and and doing things as well that that are good for your mind as well as your body. I suppose. Um, and art. anyway you know, it was one of one of one of our friends who comes swimming with us asked me. I can't remember what the question was. But my answer was that there was a bit of me missing when I'm not creating, you know, that I'm you know, a bit of, my, bit of my soul. I think that's what I said—a bit of my soul missing—and it wasn't a prepared answer. It was just that's how I felt, and it was a bit of a lightbulb moment. Of I, I need to be making, I need to be doing, I need to be creating, I need to share that love with with other people, and if I can pass on those benefits, then then yeah, I needed to go for it really and and change. You know, have another change in my in my life, really, and 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 find the path that that I wanted to forge, and not not something that I'd fallen into. And you know, I happen to be very good at teaching. I am very good at teaching, but but I left university and went straight into it, and that that was. I suppose that's all part of the journey, isn't it? But I think it's made me. Be braver and make changes, and give me the—I don't know—kick up the bum to actually, actually, actually go out and and do things for me. I think I think I remember having this dread, this horrible, horrible dread that I couldn't shift. That you know, I'd I'd gone straight from university into teaching, and had this feeling that what the you know, how am I going to feel on my deathbed? Sorry, a bit morbid. How am I going to feel on my deathbed if all I have done is be a teacher in a secondary school and not tried something, something new, something different, Giving myself that chance. And it was a big risk. Financially, it was a big, big risk.
0: But I, I could not do it. So I think it's made me braver. I hope Angela and Kate's stories galvanise you to take even a small brave step today doesn't matter what it is. It's personal. But even doing the tiniest thing can be the bravest act. I'm going to end this reflection on the many facets of bravery with a piece I wrote last year. It's called Blush Pink Overalls. And you can find it under the blog section on my website, ifancan.com. Reaching my full adult height of 5 feet 4 inches at the age of 11 was murderous for my backbone. Years of compression and contortion followed as I hunched, desperately attempting to shrink to the size of my classmates. I also acted smaller. Tough situations sent me scuttling to the outskirts, blanched and self-conscious, abdicating agency and responsibility to those now much bigger and braver classmates. I must live with the past shame of being too frightened to stand up to a racist thug who was verbally thrashing the clerk at our late night service station and of being too embarrassed to help the tramp who who was in the laundrette having soiled himself. Only my future acts can offer any hope of salvation. Nearly five decades later, I've reevaluated my thinking around the settings on the bravery Richter scale. What makes a person brave? Perhaps only a tiny minority can be the person who, to the blessed relief of others, galvanises themselves at the first hint of trouble and heroically saves the day. I've learned that the nuances of bravery are deeply personal and not immediately obvious. The catalyst for these insights spring from my repatriation from tropical Singapore to gritty Manchester, the city of my birth, where I'm experiencing a reckoning four decades later. Leaving the grim north when I was 18 with barely a backward glance, my stints in London, Oxford and Singapore gifted me a softer, more harmonious existence, where being brave was an easier prospect. Over the years, Manchester and I have grown, changed and reinvented. And now we are reunited, our do-over, a tentative step towards a brave reconciliation. Where is my beleaguered backbone in all of this? A hard landing, followed by a stint of merciless torture in the form of daily exposure to bad chairs, scant exercise, and bruising cold, brought forth howls of protest. My much heralded brave new beginning is in danger of manifesting as a fretful, carb-dulbed indolence. Cheeringly, like the Manchester weather, clouds do eventually lift, not with a grand flourish, but imperceptibly until one day you realise the sun is finally shining. Action is the facilitator of bravery. We can congratulate ourselves on our forensic decision making, but we often owe success to simple acts like putting on a coat and going outside. Being curious and turning up can change a life. I learnt the meaning of bravery in a scrubby field behind our house. Running past one day, I noticed that a coffee hut had appeared. Obeying the "fancier brew sign, I presented myself and the young woman who directed operations from her wooden window on our local world urged me to join an outdoor Pilates class. I left that field three hours later and have subsequently been away for the weekend while swimming with one of the women, attended a barrister's book launch under a makeshift awning and am now ensconced in several WhatsApp friendship groups. But the bravest person in that field by a huge margin was the recent widow whose daughter had anxiously urged her to leave the house and join that class her first solo outing since her husband died. I had capitalised on an opportunity, but she had put her entire heart on the line with astonishing bravery. One surprising revelation about bravery is that if you are older and have the good fortune to have some freedom, you can have great fun doing things that earlier in life would have resulted in your death by mortification. Noting that the redesigned Ancoats former warehouse area of Manchester has been decided, uh, dubbed the 20th coolest place in the world, I resolved to eject myself from my safe suburban nest and book a desk at one of the breathtaking co-working spaces with their exposed beams and crittle windows. As it was packed with creatives, on my first day, I wore a pair of high-fashion blush pink overalls. I wasn't 11 years old, subject to the overbearing whims and snipes of others. I was able to pull my shoulders back, recapture my brio, and place my foot on the first step of the bravery stairwell. Threading my way past the hammock and pool table to my desk, I opened the welcome box and crunched my way through a stack of Belgium chocolate honeycomb dips while making an evening reservation for one of the hot list of dining options, said to rival any capital city. My backbone purred contentedly in the suitably ergonomic chair, and my brave Manchester do-over began. Oh, and the overalls were an enormous hit. Thank you for listening. I'd love to hear your feedback, so please drop me an email at an at ifancan.com. Please also follow and rate the podcast. It makes a big difference. Thank you.